very familiar words in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul appeals to us. I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Similarly, we see this in that great passage there, Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so, you see, all godly actions begin with the renewing of the mind. Right thinking then produces right actions. Of course, you can flip that. Wrong thinking produces wrong action. And so then our actions should be the result of the fruit of our deepest thoughts of what Jesus Christ means to us. What is he doing in your life today? Have you thanked him for what he's done for you just yesterday? I think that we need to be going down. I believe it was a, a brother Mike's prayer. I heard someone say this this morning anyway, that may our worship be acceptable to the Lord. And I think of the scriptures that often speaks of our worship coming up before the throne as sweet incense. I felt that as we worship today. Those psalms minister to our hearts. Praise the Lord. You know, we come to worship, I trust our hearts are open that we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. Just as Jesus told the Samaritan woman that, no matter what mountain you worship on, it's the, the tenor of your heart as we come before the Lord. Christian doctrine must always express itself in that a new outlook on life, a changed behavior. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. That's what I like to see when someone accepts Jesus as their Savior, that they continue to grow and mature and changes are taking place. Simply put, Christ, and Jesus is teaching in these Beatitudes what we must believe, and that what we believe certainly should affect our conduct. And so in one aspect, all the Beatitudes describe the character of the Christian person. It's logical that as we start out serving Christ, our desire is that we want to love him, we want to follow him, to obey his commandments. There's a hunger for his word, for the precepts that we find there. We're in the process of being made and remade in his image. And it's a lifetime of living and following our Lord, growing, maturing in him. So today's scripture lesson, we're looking at three of the Beatitudes. Let's hear them again and listen closely to the words of Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
According to Jesus, the one who tasted God's righteousness is to show mercy then to others. They're to be pure in heart. They're to be a peacemaker. Oh, how we need peace in this our world. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's who we are as brethren in Christ. We need to know what we believe and then live it out. Jesus makes us merciful because of his work of salvation within us, in our hearts. We, come, we become pure in heart as we surrender ourselves totally to him, allowing the blessed Holy Spirit then to work in us and give victory over that selfish part of nature. And then we're to be peacemakers. Have you ever met somebody that is not peaceful? That uh, maybe you'd rather walk the other way than to talk to? How do you react? There's where the peacemaking comes in. It's in the mind of Christ. In fact, the scripture says to live at peace with all men as much as life within us. As we yield to Christ, we have these three virtues that characterize our life. The first virtue or quality is the quality of mercy. What is mercy? Some may say, well, it's partiality. It's gentleness, it's goodness. But those words do not fully define mercy because there's still so much more to it than that. Mercy is showing compassion or forgiveness towards someone that you hold the power within to do them harm or to punish them for something they've done or said. In some ways, mercy can be compared with grace. That is undeserved, but it's not grace in itself. Paul wrote in his pastoral letters his normal greeting, and he adds mercy when he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So then what, is, what makes mercy different than grace? For one, the one who receives mercy is having a feeling of maybe hopelessness or misery. Grace is love when love is undeserved. But mercy, then, I say, is grace that is in action. Mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless and that need salvation. Mercy identifies with the misery that they're in. I don't believe that we can, can state the definition of mercy without thinking of the cross Jesus died. For it was there that God acted out the greatest mercy to fallen mankind. Our fallen sinful state, there's not a thing we could do to earn our own salvation. God needed to step forward to accomplish everything that needed to be done to reconcile us back to him and into his family. I quote Dr. Barnhouse. He says, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, all the work of God for man's salvation passed out of the realm of prophecy 
and became historic fact. God has now had mercy upon us. This is the totality of mercy. The fountain is now open and flowing, and it flows freely. Praise the Lord. Old friend, have you drank of that fountain? I trust so, because Jesus welcomes us all to come to him at the dream. We sing those wonderful words, mercy there was great, great, and grace was free, pardon, and there was multiplied to me. There my burden, soul found liberty at Calvary. Beloved, because we experience this mercy from God, we are now able to in turn share and show mercy to others. Amen? Trust me, believe that. Jesus is teaching this truth for every one of us. On the other hand, if we fail to show mercy to others, it could be an evidence that we neither understand his mercy given to us, or have we really received it at all. The words of Jesus to us is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The second character we're looking at is the purity of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. So what is the heart? It's the center of one's personality. It involves the mind, the will, the emotions. Again, the Apostle Paul believe, helps us to better understand these three areas. In Romans 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to them to him. But their thinking, their mind became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here Paul is primarily thinking of the clouding of the man's mind to sin. And then he addresses man's will in uh, Romans 2.5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And then finally, in Romans 5.5, 5, he tells us, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This verse clearly shows that the heart is the seat of our emotions. Now, the heart is the center of one's personality and the source of all of our problems. And we can try to hide behind our personality or we can allow the Holy Spirit to deal with it. <laughs> I remember a number of years ago, a lady in my former church said, well, this is just the way God made me, so deal with it. And I would pray, Lord, help her to deal with it too. <laughs> the choice is ours. Prophet Jeremiah wrote in 17.9, the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? And Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it's 
Out of the heart that comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, and slander. What a list. That's what God sees in the heart. No wonder Jeremiah wondered how a man's heart can be made pure. The answer is only God can make it so. So we try all kinds of ways or, or methods that we can find in the end that the heart is still corrupt. It is only as we come to the end of ourselves, of our resources, surrendering our total will to the blessed Holy Spirit, that our heart can be made pure. I like how the English Standard Version puts Romans 6, 6, and 7. Paul says to us, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Our old man, body of flesh, or sin, is both referred to in some sense to our fallen nature and the person we used to be when we're under we were under the control of sin. A line, verse 11, where Paul says, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's the death that Christ paid at the cross. The penalty there is what broke the power of sin. May we then accept as true what God has done through his Son, and let his resurrected life be a reality in your and my life, his honor and glory. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So as we walk closely with the Lord each day, God gives us a power and strength that we can daily overcome the devil. But if we do not, I'm so thankful we can go to Jesus immediately and cry out for forgiveness and cleansing. The Holy Spirit wants to give us his overcoming power. I praise the Lord for those fresh feelings along the way from the Holy Spirit just when we need them. Well, the third character virtue is being a peacemaker for God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. You know that it's only those who have first tasted the peace of God at the cross that truly can be peacemakers. And I believe that it starts in the home to those we love the most. And then it spreads out to those who we work with or rub shoulders with daily. God desires his presence to be in the midst of our daily living. Whereas it said that rubber meets the road. Where there are people, there's conflict. Did you know that? I guess the only place there's no conflict if you become a hermit and live on top of the mountain. But then you might have conflict with yourself. No two people think alike or agree on every subject. I found that out when I got married. And my dear wife found it out as well. That's a saying. It says, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. That's really not that. 
We never thought a man could be a soldier and a Christian. But if there is one in this world, it is Washington. And I say I support all those who have taken up arms against the enemy to protect our nation. This also includes locally our policemen and our civil workers. The Bible tells us that we're to love our enemy and to pray for them. God says he is the judge and will repay. He someday will level the field. I encourage us to do our part in prayer. To live then at peace with all our fellow men. Again, I had starting right in our homes. Why is this sometimes the ones we love the most are the ones that maybe we don't act or kind of things to? Oh, may God help us to grow together to become more like the Lord Jesus as He wants to produce His gracious life and character within us. You say, Amen. As the worship team comes, let's stand together.